0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on Ideastream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Friday, October 6th, and I'm Bakari Kitwana, author, journalist, director of rap sessions, community dialogues on hip hop, and a 2023-24 distinguished visiting scholar at the University at Buffalo. It's truly an honor for me to introduce today's special City Club Forum, where we are broadcasting live from the Future Land Conference at the Mimi Ohio Theater at Playhouse Square. (laughs) For those who are not familiar, particularly our radio listeners on 89.7 WKSU, Futureland is more than just a conference. It's a movement driven by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. It aims to make Cleveland, which is an emerging tech hub, a leading destination for those currently underrepresented in the tech space. To that end, Futureland strives to ensure that black, Latino, indigenous, and women innovators have equitable access to capital and growth opportunities to start their own businesses and flourish. Our speaker today, Ghanaian-born filmmaker Blitz Bazawule, began his entrepreneurial journey as a business administration major at Kent State University where I met him in 2005, and next as an independent hip-hop artist turning down unfair corporate label record deal offers. He instead chose to chart his own path. He went from creating his own music, pressing his own CDs, and touring nationally, to creating his own live 12-piece band, teaching himself to master instruments and video production, and headlining major international festivals overseas. He carried this spirit into his career as a filmmaker with The Burial of Kojo, which he wrote, directed, and raised funds to produce independently before it was released on Netflix in 2019. He knows firsthand the challenges faced by black, brown, and indigenous folks underrepresented in the tech, arts, culture, and startup economy. And it is because of his own sense of hustle, integrity, and ingenuity that he is now making headlines as director of the contemporary musical reimagining of the color color purple, a film produced by Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Quincy Jones, which is set to release in theaters on Christmas Day. In September 2005, a semester away from graduation at Kent, he told the campus newspaper in an interview about his art, quote, the world is calling me. The Midwest is where I shape my thoughts. This is where I nurture my art. I'm not going to feel the effect of now leaving, because I'm urgently trying to touch the world. His success in achieving this is truly an inspiration for others to follow. A renaissance man in the tradition of true black excellence, Bazawule served as director for Beyonce's visual album, Black is King in 2020. He has emerged as a visual artist with exhibits at major art galleries and museums, including the Whitney Museum of American Art. And in 2022, He also stepped into the literary scene with his debut novel, The Scent of Burnt Flowers, published by Random House, which takes readers on an adventure into the beauty and magic of his native Ghana and how that nation's story overlaps with the Black American and Pan-African struggle for liberation. The story, in many ways, parallels the day-to-day challenges faced by entrepreneurs struggling for their rightful place in tech, arts, and beyond. There are many, many takeaways from his incredible achievements. My favorite is from his 2009 song, Remembering the Future, in which he raps, remember one thing, I did it all without the bling. Moderating the conversation today is Waka Anwusa, music historian and curator. She served as the chief curator and vice president of curatorial affairs at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and began her curatorial career at the Grammy Museum, where she's curated over 25 exhibits, such as All Eyes on Me, The Writings of Tupac Shakur, The Legends of Motown, and The Taylor Swift Experience. If you have a question for our speaker, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794 and City Club staff will try to work it into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland and Future Land, please join me in welcoming the amazing Blitz Bazawule and Waka an you, Thank
0: you.
2: Hey, hey. All right, thank you, Cleveland. Thank you, Sir Bakari Blitz. Wow. Oh my god. Wow We're here. This is Future Land.
0: Hey. Hey,
2: how you feeling? How I'm you doing? Fantastic. Oh, wonderful. How's
0: everyone doing? Fantastic. Beautiful,
2: beautiful. So glad to have you. We're just gonna jump right into this conversation yep. we don't have long. Of so course. I heard Kent State in yes. the conversation. We gotta bring it back to Cleveland, right? Yes. So let's talk about how you started at Kent State. How, yes. what, what degrees, now we come from immigrant parents, okay? Yes. I'm Nigerian, I already know. Were you lawyer, doctor, teacher? What was, what was it that your parents it, wanted you to do? Was,
0: it was architect, mm. because you, know, you can draw. And mm-hmm. so your parents go, you are going to be an architect, son. And you know, I mean, for me, I always knew that you know art was going to be my final frontier. But you have to do it for your parents. You know, they they sacrificed so much to get us where we are. So I was very clear that I would have to uh, get that degree. But once I did, I was like, I'm scot free, and I'm going to do what I want, right? And and I think that's where my journey um, through Kent State was incredibly important because it was almost a training ground of sorts. Um, every tour came through Cleveland. I performed numerous times at the Agora, performed numerous times at the Grog Shop. These were places that I honed my skills. I shot my very, very first short music video here. I, I got a Super 8 camera, me and my, my boy uh, Mark Ridgel. We shot it downtown Cleveland, made it look like New York. <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, that's the that's that's my af- deep affinity and love for this city is runs really deep. So it's truly an honor to be back.
2: That's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. So you know, um, it's amazing to hear all of the firsts that Cleveland has provided you an opportunity with. So we're here at Futureland, yes. where we're really embracing innovators and the creators and all of that. And. Not only have you been to Cleveland, this is one stop in your journey, but you've traveled all over the world. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how those travels have impacted your creative juice, your creative, your creative experience? Um, how, how does that traveling speak to how you share stories?
0: Um, well, first it begins with Ghana. For me, I was born and raised in Ghana. Um, my family's from the northernmost part of the country, we're Sisala people. Mm-hmm and primarily farmers, you know, and my grandmother had one such farm. Mm -hmm. And that farm is where I learned, you know, storytelling, you know, Mm -hmm. late at night, you know, there was was not electricity up there, back 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 then. So it was about sitting around nocturnally and listening to these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also learned something incredibly important that became a conduit for how I make all my work was this concept of crop rotation. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this idea, right, where you plant crops that are meant to replenish the res- resource and nutrients in the soil, right, um, that's depleted by a previous crop. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother so beautifully and eloquently explained it to us as, as a way in which, you know, your, your soil was always going to be healthy, right? And um, as I kind of evolved into a multi-hyphenate artist, I started practicing what I call creative rotation, mm. right? And creative rotation, same concept, right? You know, you can, you know, when you create, inevitably you are depleted of your inner essence. It's just yes. the way it works. Yes. So you have to figure out ways in which the work that you're making is constantly being rejuvenated and revived. And so for me, the, the great fortune is that, you know, creative rotation has helped me do two things. One. I'm in a constant state of creativity. I'm I'm never burnt out. You know, when I make a record, Mm -hmm. I don't have to make another record. I can go write a book. When I write a book, I don't have to write another book. I can go make a movie. Mm -hmm. And I do wanna say this, we are all capable of some version of this. We're all multiple things. We're a multiplicity of things as humans. And so it's always about figuring out things that can give you back what is taken out of you. But I also say that one thing that has also helped me do is it's helped me stay away from the metrics, Mm. right? And you guys know the metrics, you know, the awards, the bestseller lists, the, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things that are, have nothing to do with the work, but are constantly peripheral to the work and are deep sources of stress and are deep sources of why you don't enjoy or you get burned out. And so I don't read reviews, I don't mm-hmm. participate, I do my work, and before I know it, I'm off to the next work. Yeah. And so it just, yeah. it just has always also kept me being as true to the work as possible. And so back to your question around, that's the beginning for me in terms of travel, like just yes. what my grandmother bequeathed us was just like the beautiful beginning. And then as I've traveled, I seek that in other cultures. Mm. You know, so when I'm in Brazil, I want to know how creative rotation works here. Yeah. right? When I'm in France, I want to know how that works. When I'm in Cleveland, I want to know who's doing it, how they're doing it, yeah. and, and those things have just informed me to be, I feel, just a, a little bit more well-rounded as an artist, yes. but even more important as a human.
2: As a human, thank you so much for breaking that down, and I think that's so important for our entrepreneurs and creatives to hear. Be multi-hyphenate. You do not have to be that one thing. And I think that's a struggle that we all deal with every day. Those distractions, those distractions, storytelling though. When did you fall in love with storytelling?
0: Man, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, those nocturnal stories. You know, I I always say my grandmother was like the Netflix HBO, (laughs) you know, Hulu of the time, you know. I mean, those stories, and this is the beautiful way. In which Africans tell stories yes. that are incredibly cyclical, mm-hmm. you know, and non-linear, and that's where I really learned storytelling. Was 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 you know, my mother and my grandmother, right? And and the beauty the beauty of these stories were always, um, they were both in the realms of the seen and unseen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you know. had an allure like today the story will be about this character and these characters kept being recycled Mm. so you got to remember they got to come up with stories every night right and at some point the stories run out so it's just recycling those stories but then now you know a bird comes back now as a table a table comes back now as a human you know and and i learned that stories were in this amazing cyclical way Mm. and so when i got to either writing my novel or you know, working with Beyoncé on Black is King. I mean, it was always about how do you tell these stories, and it's the same story being told but on multiple realms. And ultimately, it brought me to, to, to The Color Purple, which I, yes. I think is probably one of the elements that uh, really justify our reason for being. Yes.
2: You know, when you talk about your storytelling, I've heard you mention, you know, the magical realism. Yes. And then as you're talking about your grandmother and creating these characters and you're seeing them revisited in yep. moments of your life. How has magical realism, and please break it down for those who need to get familiar with your style of creating, but how have you infused that into yes. all of your works from shine? I mean, yes. it's, you got the music videos, you got the burial of Kojo, you're talking about Blackest King, all of these moments, I see it. So how, how can you talk a little bit about magical realism?
0: Yes I mean I think again it's just a point of view right and, and look we all have our point of views based on how we arrive at storytelling right if, if, if you know if, if you grew up with your family stories then they're going to influence you as a storyteller as you move on and uh, for me those stories that I heard as I said earlier were kind of oscillated between the seen and unseen and the scene is of course the real right when we see everything we know but we know that as, as 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 beings, we don't just operate on the scene. There's the unseen, and I feel like just being able to tap into that, whether it's headspace, whether it's, it's it's ephemeral, like all these elements that are that are not necessarily seen but are interesting when the camera is able to capture them, or when the pen is able to capture. It, you know, and so anyway, for me, it's also allowed me to tell stories that are familiar but in new, innovative ways, right? Because the stories are never just straight. And again, let's also remember, there's a very Western way in which stories are told. You know, three act act structure, everything just kind of is is grinding forward, right? And most indigenous cultures tell stories in in a very different way. It's very cyclical and and, and different in how we, we approach that. And so I really, and this is back to this idea of entrepreneurship and creating your own, because that's all this is about. I really believe that you have to be able to tap into these things that are innately you. Mm. And you have to figure out, because you can't survive on somebody else's hill. You know, mm. you're, mm-hmm. you will only be able to survive on your hill and thrive on your hill. And that hill requires you to dig deep, be clear. And I always use this incredible Toni Morrison quote, the late legendary. She says, I stood at the edge, stood at the border, claimed it as central, and forced the world to move over to where I was. All right, I'll repeat it. I stood at the edge, stood at the border, claimed it as central, forced the world to move over to where I was. I'm paraphrasing here, but the concept and idea that your edge can be centered as black, brown, indigenous people is something that we're not taught, we're not raised with, we're we're not, even, it's not even central to our culture. We're always kind of going, okay, where are they at and how, how can I migrate to them? Hopefully they'll understand me when I get there. Mm-hmm. Well, the journey of them migrating to you is the beauty of the journey, right? And, and, and honestly, the world's better for it. The world's better for it, you know? And so, and so as creatives in this room, I really encourage us to always remember that you come from an incredibly resilient, History and culture, and that history and culture is your center. And as long as you're able to hold that fort, the world always comes to you. Mm-hmm. It has always happened and it always will. Mm.
2: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Gosh, you're speaking to us. So, how can that creative expression bridge the gaps and promote understanding among different communities? And you really just hit on that but how can it really bridge the gap? And how has your work, how have you seen your work bridge the gap?
0: I mean, again, I think that there's a, there is uh, the way the world is structured Mm -hmm. has really unfortunately um, created levels of disparity around value and culture, right? Where elements, Of certain groups culture and values are promoted over others in which I feel like we we've we've been worse for that as I see the world we're a constant amalgam of our meetings if I don't meet you you don't grow if you don't meet me I don't grow right and so when you when when the world is centered around a specific culture then we're all making this really unnatural migration to this center that isn't ours. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once I understood that my work was worthy of the world arriving, I own that, and i got to tell you, there's been nowhere I've been where, where, where my movies have played, where my music has, has played, where my books are read, that people's lives aren't better for that migration. Look, I'll use music as an example, because the barriers to music are quite low for black and brown people, right? So, and and because we've had the opportunity to create in this space, unmitigated, we've been able to stick to our center, right? So hip hop, R&B, jazz, funk, rumba, Mm -hmm. uh, samba, Mm -hmm. bossa, reggae, raga, I mean, the list goes on. That center, and the world's migration to these centers, I mean, can you imagine your life without jazz? Can you imagine your life without funk? Can you imagine your life without hip-hop, R&B? All these beautiful expressions. Well, the barriers to entry there are low. So we can, you know, you and I can start a band right now, Mm -hmm. and we'll be on the road. Right, right. (laughs) Well, in the cinematic arts, it's much, much different. The barriers to entry are much higher. Well, that's where you start to see the discrepancy in terms of who gets the journey to who. Because we do not know the cinematic equivalent of jazz. We do not know the cinematic equivalent of funk. We do, because people haven't been allowed to just create and make it. And whenever you get a chance to get into this space, you're told how to do it. And often it's through a very narrow Eurocentric lens. That is the honest truth. But there are multiple ways in which stories are told. So my point is, imagine how much, look, It's incalculable how much the world loses every day by the intentional exclusion of African, indigenous, black, brown, creative, and intellectual genius. It's incalculable. We can't even do the math on it. It's the same way you couldn't do the math on what your life will be like without all these musical expressions that you enjoy on the daily when you're going through things and you play that R&B record. Can you do the math on how that makes you feel? You can't. It's the same way that... When you haven't seen these movies, and when when, when the artists haven't been free to create, Mm. unmitigated, the world is only worse for it. So again, my encouragement to entrepreneurs in this space and creatives in this space, go for it. Create that space. Fight through the the red tape and the blockades because what happens is that the world is better for and we only foster more, whether we like it or not, we only understand each other more, we're only clearer about each other's, where each other comes from. Mm. And to me, that's how the world gets better. Oh
2: my gosh, amazing. Can you talk a little bit about, let's get to the color purple. Yes. In this journey to the color purple, what were some of those challenges and experiences that you can share with us?
0: Well, you know, when you are making a studio picture, it comes with the territory. But I'll say the first biggest one is that I happen to be the first Ghanaian to make a studio picture of a, of a budget level. So, oh, at, I don't think there's much to applaud there. <laughs> you know, The reality is that, who do I call right. when I'm in that vortex of not understanding, not being supported, not being protected? Who do you call to say, when you did this back in, Blah, blah, blah. How did you manage to? You know, and that's why, you know, I think it's incredibly important that we get out of the phase of firsts. Right, right. Be, You know, because it's, it's, it, it only goes, I don't celebrate firsts, mm-hmm. you know? I, I, I actually go, why am I the, why? why? Because, because now you start to build this pioneer syndrome, which is very difficult to navigate because am I doing it right? Now, if I mess this up, does it mess it up for everybody else that's coming? Mm. Like, there are these hefty things that you have to carry. You can't just be an artist. You can't just show up and do the work and you cannot really have the virtue and support of a historied past, Mm. people who have done it. And so anyway, for me, those were the biggest challenges. Mm. Of course, you know, um, I was very fortunate to have Producers that supported my vision, Steven right. Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, Quincy Jones, that were all incredibly supportive. Yes. But right. let's be honest and clear, I come from a very different set of backgrounds. You know, we're immigrant immigrants. Right. You know what right. I mean? Off the boat immigrants. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. and, and you have to be able to call someone who has had to navigate that particular, specific challenge. Right. You know, this challenge of who am I here? what do i hold on to when i'm here what do i let go of what do i compromise what do i what don't i compromise Mm -hmm. you know those are things that i i find are deeply uh challenging Mm -hmm. for any artist period and certainly for immigrant artists and certainly for black brown indigenous artists and so again my, my hope is that the work that we're doing only spurns and opens doors where folks can show up As themselves. As
2: themselves. As themselves. I mean, you're telling a story of women who are showing up as themselves in The Color Purple. And in your previous works, it's so beautiful to see that you've championed black women, indigenous peoples. And you're telling these stories. What were you most excited about that you got to bring the blitz, you know, the blitz energy to, to The Color Purple? Like, what were you most excited about?
0: Well, I mean, first, when you get a call that they're remaking The Color Purple and they want you, you go, nah. Like, (laughs) not me. I mean, again, let's talk about Alice Walker's brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning book. Let's talk about Steven Spielberg's brilliant cinematic classic. Let's talk about a Tony Award winning Broadway play. I mean, this is deep, major history. Yes. Yes. All right? You don't want to be the one. (laughs) <laughs> okay? You don't want to be the one. So, anyway, you know, I, I really fought it for a while, mm-hmm. you know? And I read the script and I went back, and, you know, for me, the, the thing was always whenever in doubt, mm-hmm. go to back to Alice, mm-hmm. right? She mm-hmm. bequeathed us this level of beauty and joy mm-hmm. and, and challenge and trauma and all these things. And my thing was, what can I bring to it? Mm-hmm. So, I went back to, again, my grandmother's stories, my mother's stories, mm-hmm. and the one thing that was always peculiar about those stories where the characters headspace and giving the characters imaginations. Yes. So I, I told myself, well, as long as I can do that for Celie, as long as I can give Celie an imagination, because here's the other thing. There's a big misconception around people who deal with trauma and abuse mm-hmm. that they are docile and are waiting to be saved. That's a big misconception. Mm -hmm. People who deal with trauma and abuse are constantly working their way out of their trauma and abuse in their heads, and if we will only take time to spend time in their heads, we'll understand that they are not waiting to be saved, they are constantly building and working Mm -hmm. their way out. And so for me, that's how I saw Celie, Mm -hmm. was someone who was constantly navigating. So I figured if I can just, if we can have a view into her headspace, it gets richer. Right, so now if she thinks of a 50-piece orchestra, I can give her a 50, she thinks of a giant gramophone, I can get whatever this black woman from the rural South wanted and thought about, mm-hmm. we can give to her. Yeah. And I think that was kind of where it became the real true contribution to the canon. And look, it's not completely novel to the, to, to the, to the canon either. Alice Walker begins her book with Dear God. You have to be a person of deep imagination, deep spirituality, deep understanding of a higher power, which also requires imagination, Mm -hmm. to be this this character. So it was already there. All we did was just expand on it, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that that's what we've brought to it. And come Christmas Day, I really hope everybody's out there rocking their purples and filling up the theaters and making this an event.
2: And speaking of technology, because this is, you know, we're also talking about technology here. How did you really take advantage of technology in making this film? You are a visual artist, so what were you most excited about using?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, you know, first, shout out to my DP, Mm -hmm. Dan Lawson, who's brilliant, and and Fatima Robinson, who was my choreographer. If you guys don't know Fatima's work, Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes deep from... Yeah, to Michael Jackson, to Aliyah, to it goes on and on. But she was the first person I hired because I was very clear that this film was going to require levels of movement. And it had to be a cinematic kind of ballet between the camera and, and, and the movement of characters. And I feel like one thing that troubles a lot of musicals is just the separation of big musical numbers and. and narrative dialogue scenes where they're treated quite like different two things and so when they come together, they feel like they're fighting each other. Mm-hmm. For us, it was very critical that these characters were always going to be, whether they were having a conversation, they were going to be choreographed. Okay. So, so that by the time we get into the music, it's all working as one thing, right? right. Um, and so that was, that was a very, very big thing that we were, we were very excited about. In terms of the technology itself, I mean, Look, what these cameras can do these days. And they're not, you know, look, my very, very first film, we shot on DSLR cameras. They weren't, weren't, you know, massive, Mm -hmm. you know, studio level cameras. And, you know, I really always encourage and advocate for start where you are, use what you have, do the best you can, and then start again. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, again, it's something that entrepreneurs have to keep hearing and keep hearing. Your job is to just begin where you are, use the tools, figure out how to move to the next thing, and then. So by the time I arrived with literally every tool I wanted, you know, I mean, again, when you're making a film of this scale and caliber, you just got to go. I want blah blah blah, (laughs) and they give it to you. But I but I've also learned to make films small and intimate. So I wasn't reliant necessarily on the technology. Mm-hmm. I could find ways to kind of mitigate that. And, and so again, you know, working with brilliant big visual effects, I mean, those were things that I learned on, uh, uh, while working. Yeah. And just where the cinematic and technological advancements have gotten to are incredible, but it's still gonna be about story. About story. Still yeah. about story. And so you have to hone that craft. You have to know how to tell a story. Technology and everything else are tools to help you get there. You don't hang a hammer in your house, right? You use the hammer to hang a picture. So your job is to master the tool and know what the tool is for, and the tool gets you to hang that beautiful portrait up.
2: Oh, my God, Blitz. This is... Absolutely amazing. We're excited to see what your imagination has created on the big screen. And I am going to, you know, I mean, I'm asking all these questions, but we have an audience full of questions um, for you. And we're going to transition into that moment. And here is Bakari. All right.
1: You guys are amazing. Thank you. Blitz. Oh my gosh. All right. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. As we said earlier, if you wanna ask questions, you wanna come up to the microphone and don't uh, play yourself by taking too long because it's gonna go fast. I'm Bakari Kitwana, author, journalist, director of rap sessions, community dialogues on hip hop and a distinguished visiting scholar at the University of Buffalo. We're broadcasting live from the Futureland Conference at the Mimi (laughs) Ohio Theater at Playhouse Square. Joining me on stage is Blitz Bazawule, author, visual artist, rapper, and film director of the upcoming film, The Color Purple, which is set to release in theaters on Christmas Day. Moderating the conversation is Waka Anwusa, music historian and curator. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org and live radio broadcast at 89.7 WKSU Idea Stream Public Media. If you'd like to text a question for our speaker, please text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And City Club staff will try to work it into the program. For those of you who are here, Blitz will be signing books after this session. And for those of you who didn't come, Y'all going to have to catch them the next time. <laughs> May we have the first question, please? Uh,
2: hello. hello. Hi, my name is Meryl Johnson, and um, I taught school in Cleveland 40 years. And so it's always so exciting uh, to hear from an artist. If you were talking to a classroom of students, you know, they see the actors, uh, they see the rappers, um, they don't see the directors. How would you explain to a classroom of, say, middle school students, why the directing is really, really so important?
0: Oh, that's that's such a great question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe that the lens through which a story is told is the ultimate, most important thing. Um, if we all got scripts, said same words, you know, there'll be a hundred different movies made out of those same words, out of those same set of parameters, right? And what makes them different is your background and who you are and how you see the world and how, how you process the world. You decide if the camera goes up, if the camera goes down based on how you were raised, based on your memory. You know, sometimes it's even genetic memory. You don't even, it's not even you saying the camera goes there. It's, you know, those, your ancestors way before you telling you the camera goes there. And it's incredibly important that black, brown, indigenous people contribute to this beautiful tapestry of storytelling that is cinema. Because cinema is truly one of the few arts that is encompassing of all the other arts. You gotta write, you gotta know photography, you gotta know music to score your movies. So you you have to be a multi hyphenate. To direct the movie. You can't just come in and go action and cut. You have to understand how stories are told in multiple mediums. And I say this to say it's so critical that underrepresented voices, marginal voices are part of the storytelling. Because ultimately, the way we also process each other, cinema is purports to be real life. You understand? It's, it's the one creative endeavor that you all, we, we go, man, they really live that. Like you don't when you hear a song, you know a rapper says he shot a lot of people. You kind of go, I don't buy it, because you'll be in jail if you did, you know. But when you you know cinema really get it 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 postures as reality, so it's also deeply dangerous if those who are telling the stories of you aren't people who are, are proximate and empathize because they paint as part of the story that then becomes a stereotype that is built into. And black images, I mean, there's a long-running history of that, all right, of of these representations that seek to diminish and undermine, right? And so I think that that part of the creative endeavor, look, it's great that we should be in all parts. You should be in front of the camera, behind the camera. But those who are the ones through which this story is going to be told, are incredibly important, and the more diverse that cadre is, the better our storytelling in general is going to, and the more empathy we can build for each other.
2: I am so excited to see this movie. I have a question for you that a lot of people ask me, a lot of young people ask me, um, and you may get this as well, but as a multi-hyphenate artist, as a young person, was there the one talent or the one expression that felt most natural to you? Yes. For me, it's music, yes. and then it became a lot of different yes. uh, arenas, but for you, what was that for you?
0: That's a great question, too. Um, I call it the, 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 gateway, the gateway art, You know, the, the one that gets you to go, I have something special to say. For me, it was visual art, it was drawing. As a kid, I drew all the time, and it was the one thing that I did, I'll never forget this. I, we had a, you know, I was probably in like class three, which would be like, you know, great, third grade here. And I'd drawn, we had like art that day, and I'd drawn something. And um, my parents had come to pick me up from school. And, you know, we had this old beat up Nissan stanza, and I was in the back of it. And I saw my teacher running with like waving something, trying to stop my dad from pulling out. And I was like, you know, my dad looked at me like, what have you done? Yeah, you're dead, you know, African dad, you are dead. Yeah. Okay? So my teacher's running, 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 running. And she, you know, he, he has to pull to the side. And, you know, he goes, what, what has Samuel done? You know? And she goes, he did this. And like shows the art to my dad, and my dad's like, "Word!" Like, that's why you came running out, you know? But my mom immediately went, that's something special, right? And it it was the first time that I knew that I could do something that could elicit that level of excitement. And my teacher who didn't really like me that much, you know? but, But was that excited that I'd done something that she hadn't seen before. So that was it for me, and I really encourage young people, little people, old people, all people, to tap into those things that you are just naturally able to gravitate to because they become the gateway to all these other beautiful layers and labyrinth of art that you might not even consider that you could do. You know, and, and, and again, you know, this whole like jack of all trades, master of none, I, I don't buy that. I go, jack of all trades, master of some. You're gonna be, you're a master something. You know, so, so, so I really encourage, I encourage that we kind of explore them and keep trying them. You might be great at something that you never thought.
1: How do you find a new talent and what advice would you give to um, myself and people like myself who are looking to network and find the next you of the world?
0: Great question. Um, and this, this is, I'm just, I'm biting from the brilliant Issa Rae. you know, it's about networking laterally, right? We're so used to going, and that was me too, you know. If my film only got to blah blah blah, you know, and what we don't realize is that to make the work, you have to make the work with people who are ready to make the work with you, people who are emotionally, spiritually aligned, invested in the story that you're trying to tell, and When I made my very first film, no one would give me a dime to make it. I went on tour, saved as much as I could, which is only 40 grand, but was a fortune back then. Went to Ghana, made a movie with people who wanted to make a movie with me. None of us knew what the hell we were doing. We went on YouTube legitimately going, what does the first AD do? Yeah, I mean, that's how early it was, and this is not long ago. This was like 2017. I went home to make my movie, my first film, right? And making that first film, let me back up because this is a wild story. My mom calls me out the blue. I'm in New York, you know, down, you know, it's New York, so it's a shoebox, no windows. My mom calls me and goes, Samuel, I, I are you thinking of making a movie? Well, uh, Making music now, it's kind of plateaued. Nothing really's happening. She goes, I had a vision on everything. Yeah, you know, African mothers with the vision. She goes, I had a vision. I saw Hollywood, (laughs) right? She goes, if you're thinking of making a movie, you should make it. And I think I run into you in 2017, right? I had just gone home to Ghana to write, and when you met me at Afropunk, I was hustling to raise that money. That's why why I was at Afropunk performing. That's, why you, that's how we met, that's was at Afropunk. Afro and I was working that stage because I hey. needed that money, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I took that money and I took it home. And, and again, I, what, what I did was just find people who were ready to make a movie with me for $40,000 because that's all we had, okay? And, and you know, God is good. And, and I'm glad I listened to my mama. That's, that's, that's the moral of the story. When your mama calls, you pick up because because that's the movie that Beyonce saw and said well, well first Ava saw it and was like this needs to be on Netflix okay and so shout outs to Ava DuVernay amazing grateful and and that's what Beyonce saw and called me to do Black is King and Black is King is what Steven Oprah and you know so I'm saying that to say you got to start where you are you got to trust and you and you can't you can't be hoping yeah, you're going to get there. I couldn't have told you that back then. But I did know that as long as we were able to just get the work done and do it to the best of our abilities, and it's kind of what we've been talking about in terms of just claiming your edge a center and trusting that that migration will happen, you know? And like just by doing that and doing that alone and trusting that we could make a film of our with our own voice. When you guys see The Burial of Kojo, it is... It is, it is how Africans tell stories. We didn't make it how anybody else told stories. We made it in a cyclical, most avant-garde, most open stories that I grew up on, right? stories that they tell you no one wants to see, right? So I really encourage you to just find that small cadre that are all here with you and are ready to do the work, get it done, and keep going. And, and magic does happen.
1: Thank you, thank you. Thank you. This question came in through the
0: conference app, cool. uh, regarding wanting to know your thoughts in regards to AI in filmmaking. That's a good question. I mean, as you guys know, there there've been strikes, and there are still strikes going, <laughs> um, and it's and a lot of it has to do with intellectual property, AI, and 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 all of these artificial intelligence tools that are are deeply disruptive to the creative process. I'm I'm you know, adamant about how important it is that humans are prioritized in all levels of the value chain. You know, it's not just the creative entertainment industry. It's walking into a store and having nobody there, you know, and and the elimination of so many entry-level jobs that so many of us were beneficiaries of it's how we arrive here. And when those jobs are gone, how do people uh, get to where they need, how do they afford these services, right? And so I think that you know, AI is, is deeply disruptive in, in that way. Look, I don't think it's going away. I think it's gonna be about how do we curtail, how do we protect people's intellectual properties, how do we make sure that whatever, if you train an AI on my work, I'm getting paid every time that AI is used, right? Because someone's got, something's got to train the AI. The AI just doesn't know what to do. But no one's getting any residuals out of that work, right? And so I think, I think that, that is kind of where the biggest problem exists is, is that there's going to be a lot of erasure, right? And I think that it's, it's astute of us all to question as much of it as possible. Hi. What's up? Uh, my name is Akeem Shaheed
1: you know, you you say forty K went to Africa. I'm from here. Like I don't you know, it's not easy to go to Africa or to somewhere. Or well, it's not know. easy to go to Africa, my brother. No, no I, I, <laughs> I'm, I, I get I get I'm, that, with, you know, I'm but, with you. You know, I I I make stuff yes. but how do you how did you get your scene? How did you feel like confident enough yes. to uh I don't know, to to publish it for Ava DuVernay to see or Beyonce? Well,
0: let me tell you what it is. First of all, it is seeing beauty within you and around you, right? I think that's a big challenge that certainly black, brown, indigenous people face. So we're not taught that our environs, our personhood, our peoplehood, our worlds are beautiful. And I'm talking about beautiful, okay? And so we're always out trying to shoot something else. We're always out trying to do something else as opposed to going, Cleveland's beautiful. My neighborhood's beautiful. Yeah, might be trash over there, but it's beautiful still, you know? And, and, and for me, that was it for me going to Ghana. Most people flee from making a film in Africa because they just go, it's not beautiful. No one wants to see that. I've always grown knowing that we're beautiful people in all our complexities and all our inconsistencies. <laughs> we're beautiful people. And... My job is to turn the camera on that beauty and find that beauty. And once I was able to capture that, bro, you couldn't stop me. I was ready to show up. I had literally bought a projector, because let me also tell you this part of the story I left out. No film festival will take my movie. I sent it. I'm gonna name all of them. Sundance rejected it, you know, Rotterdam International, Con, everybody rejected my movie. And again, back to what community means. Right? I went, well, I've toured the world. I mean, I've played 30-plus countries, you know. These people loved my music. I think they'll love my movie, too. So I went to these sm- much, 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 much smaller festivals that they tell you, yeah, it's not worth submitting to, right? I did a tiny one in New York, Urban World, did a tiny one in Sao Paulo, you know, Sao Paulo. And I did all these smaller festivals, but I showed up, and I supported my work and I was confident because I knew that I'd captured beauty of my people. You know, and I think that just that self-awareness to go, this here is critical and the world has to see it. I mean, it's the same reason, you know, you know, hip hop music made it because we had we had something beautiful. Again, was it perfect? No. Was it rough around it? Was it brash? Was it all these things? Yes, it was these things. But We were so confident in it, right, that there's no corner of this planet that hip-hop does not resonate, and it comes out of that confidence. So I say that to say, as you're thinking of doing your work, man, the work is first inner work, right? That just goes, I know my people, I know what we have, I know it's infinitely beautiful, and the world needs to see this, and I will not stop. Listen, I'm telling you, I was never going to stop. First of all, I spent all my money on it, so (laughs) I didn't. I didn't have a choice, but I was never going to stop. This film was going to be seen, and the universe works that way. When you're so clear-eyed and so sure, it's less chasing and more attracting. What is yours, right? And 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 those calls came in, you know. Those all the big calls came in, but it was because we had created something that was worth people migrating to, right? And, and that's, that's the only real thing I can tell anybody who's doing, has any creative plans, anything. It's just focus on just the thing and make sure that it's so incredible that even if it's under a rock, let me tell you, the world has always migrated to, uh, to find us, okay? like You know how dangerous it was to go to Harlem to listen to jazz back in the day? The world migrated there. If they hear of what you're doing in Cleveland, they will come find you. The world will come find you. It doesn't matter where you are. And then forget it that now we have tools to share our work around the world. The world is gonna find you. So please believe and, and believe in that. Yeah. Hello.
2: Good afternoon. Hey. My name is Dawn Mays. I'm the Director of Design, Entrepreneurship, and Inclusion at Kent State University. Oh. I'm also a FAMU grad. Shout out to the Rattlers.
0: Kent um, State in the house. Yes.
2: Oh, that's a a whole squad, I didn't know that. (laughs) So my question to you, in academia, it is not necessarily celebrated um, being multifaceted, to pick one, right? And so I would just ask, what is your advice to young, up and coming, you know, creative professionals? How can they begin the process of expanding their creative horizons mm. while becoming multifaceted and not limited to just one particular
0: thing? Mm. Such a brilliant question. And look, I'll tell you that is the antithesis of creativity, right? Which is like, yeah, you one thing, stay in that lane, right? We hear that a lot: stay in your lane, right? I think it is one of the one of the hardest things that we've all kind of had to accept as a reality, which is a, true, it's a, deeply, a deep falsehood, we are never one thing. It's just impossible. Some of us are brilliant chefs. Whether, whether you cook for just yourself and your family, that's what you do too. You're, some of us are therapists for our friends, brilliant therapists, by the way. We listen, we, we are able to give advice. We're, we're, A multiplicity of things we're always gonna be that the question is do you honor it that's all do you honor these many things that you are and what levels of curiosity do you build I always tell folks I have zero real talent of that I can really speak of except curiosity boy I am curious if if they say this how this thing work I want to know how it works I, know. I mean, that was me as a kid. I took apart every toy. They stopped buying me anything because I'll break it. I'll open it. And, and that was a lot of us, too. Let's not forget. This is how we all begun. We're breaking stuff, trying to figure out how it worked. And I think that as you grow older, it gets beat out of you. It gets, it gets extracted out of you. And then here's that one degree that you have to have. Here's that one thing you have to study. Look, again, shout out to Kent. I the beautiful thing about my college experience was changing my major every two weeks. <laughs> I kid you guys not. I did architecture. I bounced. I did interior design. I bounced. I did fashion design. I bounced. I did my, I bounced. I, listen, any client, I was like, what y'all doing in here? I want to know. Mm, not for me. And I did it and did it. And did it. let me tell you guys something. That is how I arrive here. When I'm on a set and my production designer shows me, I can understand what all the interior elements are. Because of that, two weeks, I was in that class and the stuff I learned. So I say that to say, let's like, and again, I know you get a bad rap and they call you scatterbrained, and they call you all these things. That, again, is a society that wants to mold you into a cog and a, and a, and a simple tool to perform one task that the system needs you to do. And I also have to be clear, it ain't for every everybody. Okay, some people are just also good at just one thing and are brilliant at it and just know how to do that and that's fine too. But if you have that restless spirit, you know yourself better than anybody else does, build that curiosity up, go around, travel, go to places you try new foods, find new friends, go to cities you've never been to, watch movies that none of your friends like. Listen to songs that everybody thinks is whack, but you like. Like, that was me throughout, was just always going, I think I like that. And I want to know how that works. And at some point, you find yourself just having such a base of knowledge. And here's the beautiful part, and I should say this. There are no wasted experiences. There's not one. You will always find yourself, whether it's in, you know, I have a 14-year-old son. Whether it's, 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 it's you know, raising my son and giving all these things that I've picked up across so many places that I was like, I think I'm wasting my time here, all kind of came together as things that have helped me be a full-fledged human, right? And I think that's the one thing that we have to always remember. We're here first to be full-fledged humans. That's our first real job. Everything else is ancillary and just helps us get there. Sorry, I know that was long-winded, but I hope I, hope I, I landed that. Oh, that yeah, thank you. That beautiful. We out of time? <laughs> oh man, we could have gone on for a while. Thank you, thank you.
1: Thank you, thank you to Blitz Bazawule for coming back to Cleveland. Thank you, thank you all. <laughs> and sharing your brilliance, your insight, and most importantly, your honesty. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you to Waka Anwusa for being such a fabulous come on, come and on. incredible come moderator. On. <laughs> come on. Come on. Forums like this one are made possible thanks to generous support from individuals like you. You can learn more about how to become a guardian of free speech at the cityclub.org. I'm sorry, at cityclub.org. Today's forum is also presented in partnership with Futureland with support from M- MCPC and part of the City Club's Health Equity Series supported by Saint, the St. Luke's Foundation. If you haven't heard, the City Club has moved to Playhouse Square. You can check out their new space at the Community Open House and City Club Annual Meeting on Friday, October 27th. Craig Hassel, President and CEO at Playhouse Square will be in conversation with City Club CEO Dan Mouthrop, who tells me nobody knows him, but everybody knows him, <laughs> about the intersection of free speech and the art of the spoken word. Immediately following the forum, you are all invited to join the City Club for a free celebration with music, food, and drinks from one to four. You can learn about this open house and other forums at cityclub.org. Thank you again, Blitz and Waka. (laughs) Thank you, Bakari. This is such an honor. And thank you members and friends of the City Club and Futureland. I'm Bukhari Kitwana, and this forum is now adjourned. For information on
0: upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club Forums on Ideastream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated.